Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on Believe, the number one content network for professionals, the place to find a sports and pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and in episode 58, I'm going to talk about the Trojans who were picked in the 2022 NFL Draft, along with the ones who weren't chosen and where they ended up as undrafted free agents, with my guest, Joe DeLeon, co-host of both the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects and Believe in FCS Football Podcasts. Joe, I appreciate you coming back on the Everything USC Podcast. Yeah, excited to be here. This was a good year for some USC draft picks. We obviously have the two drakes that went early, and I'm excited to talk about these guys that were selected. If you enjoy listening to this show, please subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, or go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, and on social media, at Believe Network. For me, I'm on Twitter. You can find me at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Joe, I know you're out there living the life on social media. Where can the people catch up with you? You can find me at Joe DeLeon on Twitter. And then the NFL Prospects podcast is just at NFL Prospects pod. If you want to stay up to date on all the great stuff that we're putting out. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by our partners at Bet Online, who continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments for the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball fights, and NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all sports wagering needs, including live betting and the fan favorite Vegas Casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. The 2022 NFL Draft had plenty of glitz and glamour befitting its location in Las Vegas, but what it didn't have was a lot of USC players selected. One Trojan was selected on each day of the draft, making it 519 all-time taken out of USC, just three behind Notre Dame for most taken from a school. It kept the streak alive of having a Trojan selected in every draft since 1939, something only Michigan can also claim. Drake London was the first SC player and first wide receiver to come off the board at 8th overall to the Atlanta Falcons. He, of course, missed the final four games of his junior season due to a broken ankle, suffered versus Arizona, but up to that point in the season, 88 catches, 1,084 yards, and 7 TD catches in 8 games leading USC in all those categories. He was still named the 2021 Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, and he became the highest Trojan selected since 2018, when quarterback Sam Darnold, of course, was taken third overall by the Jets. And he's the first USC wide receiver taken in the first round since 2015. I don't think most people remember this. Number 20 to the Eagles, Nelson Aguilar. So, Drake London, were you surprised that he was the first wide receiver taken 
out of this incredible class of wide receivers that we saw this year. I actually wasn't surprised that he was the first one to go. I, I had a little bit of information coming into the draft that the Atlanta Falcons were extremely interested in him. And then if they didn't select him, the New York Jets were also very, very interested in Drake London. So there was not like 100% confidence, but I had a, just a strong sense that he was going to be that first receiver taken. Just based on how the board was laid out, if Atlanta didn't select him, the Jets were probably going to take him. So seeing him in this group, he was one of the more unique options because he's so tall and long and he's a really good route runner in, in short area, really good possession receiver. He is going to be a really nice piece for that Atlanta Falcons offense going forward that really lacks playmakers in their receiving group. For sure, they are going to be excited to have him and tight end Kyle Pitts now together catching balls. And some of the knocks that people were saying about Drake London, I don't particularly agree with, but they're saying that he's not the fastest guy. He didn't separate as well as maybe some of the other receivers. But to me, the size, the leaping ability, and the fact that, listen, not to knock Keaton Slovis, but he's not really a great NFL prospect as a quarterback. So he was catching all of these balls from a guy who's not the best quarterback in the country, and he was making DBs look silly. Are those concerns that people had about him really founded? No, and I agree with the sentiment that you just pointed out. Like Slovis was at one point considered to be a possible highly draftable quarterback prospect, but we saw how inconsistent he was. Maybe he recovers now that he's at Pitt. But the thing with Drake London the separation concerns is something that's always brought up with these possession guys. Can they create space for themselves in the NFL against much better corners? And I don't think that's going to affect him as much as people think. Like Nikhil Harry, the previous Arizona State receiver, is like an example of somebody who everyone was saying couldn't separate from corners. And he didn't do a good job of that when he got to the NFL and he struggled and he hasn't really done anything since entering the NFL. But the thing with Drake London is he's so much taller, he's so much longer, he's also quicker than a Nikhil Harry that I have a lot more confidence that he's going to produce. He has the size to dominate smaller guys. He's not particularly fast, but he's not slow. But where you're going to get him to produce is in those short area situations, on short routes. He's somebody who is a tactile route runner. But most importantly, if you need a catch on third down, or in an important situation, he's the guy that you're going to. He's that good of a receiver, and he's far and above any other of these possession guys that we've seen in the first round that have gone. So I'm not too worried about him being able to produce early on in the NFL. And the other thing is, he's still young, just 21 years old, and he really has only been playing football solely full-time for two years. He, of course, came in the USC as a guy who was going to do football and basketball, joined the basketball team after his freshman season on the gridiron, and then decided to give it up once he showed that incredible football talent and focused it on football for his final two seasons at USC. So I think as good as he's been, there's still room for him to get even better with the right coaching at the NFL level. So how do you see that Atlanta offense this year? They brought in Marcus Mariota to be their new quarterback, maybe a bridge to the guy that they took in the third round, Desmond Ritter. But Obviously, it wasn't very good last year, and Matt Ryan, their longtime veteran quarterback, is now with Indy. So how do you see Drake helping that offense this season? 
Yeah, you lose Calvin Ridley because of his stupid gambling issues. And it was really clear that they needed to make a pick to add somebody to this receiver group. All you really had was Kyle Pitts. Cordero Patterson is a strong player, but they're using him as a running back. I think that you throw into the mix now, you've Auden Tate and Drake London, two very tall receivers. Not a lot of speed in the group. Kyle Pitts, we know, is fast, but you don't have a, a necessarily a, a deep threat amongst those guys. But I think as Kyle Pitts ascends and turns into the player that we know that he's capable of, it's going to open up lanes for guys like Drake London to have strong seasons. I don't think London necessarily is going to have a 1,200-yard year and a, a Jamar Chase-type start to his career, but he's going to be a really good option for Marcus Mariota. The one point that I want to hit on that you indicated here is they are probably using Mariota as a bridge quarterback. So part of me wonders, does Drake London hit right now with Mariota as that bridge quarterback, or do we have to kind of wait to see who that guy is? And once there's a much more talented player at the helm, how does he perform in those situations? So maybe don't get our expectations too crazy high that he's going to be some elite early level player. It might take some time for him to get settled in, especially with some quarterback reshuffling over the next few years for him. Yeah, I see some of this early talk about him with the low odds of offensive rookie of the year. And I don't really buy it because I'm not sold on the Falcons yet. We're going to have to see what Mariota can do after a few years of being a backup, basically being used on the Raiders as kind of a run option quarterback coming Mm -hmm. in for Derek Carr. So yeah, we will see how Drake does, but I think the talent is there to have a long and successful NFL career. So let's go to the other Drake, the one who was taken in the second round by my team, 61st overall, going to the San Francisco 49ers, where he will join his former Trojan teammate, Talanoa Hufanga, who was taken last year by the Niners. I am, of course, speaking of the edge rusher, Drake Jackson, a three-year starter at SC, named second team All-Pac-12 after each season. In his 28 career games, he had 25 tackles for loss, 12 and a half sacks included in that. And the last two seasons, he played at outside linebacker in the 3-4 Todd Orlando scheme after being a defensive end as a freshman, where he had his most success at USC. So how do you like this pick for the 49ers? Is he going to be a better pro than he showed in college? Because we know he is super talented. Yeah, there was actually some last second buzz that Drake Jackson could go in the end of the first round. I wasn't entirely buying into it, but he's a really underrated edge rusher in this group, and he's got some versatility. You can use him in multiple roles on your defense. We've seen him do different things at USC like you talked about. I almost wonder if Drake Jackson would have gone sooner if he wasn't in such a historic edge class. That was the one thing that was talked about so much for this group is that it was deep. There were so many names, so many players at the edge position. And we saw a lot of guys selected in the first round that a guy like Drake Jackson, I think any normal year would have been one of the first players selected in the second round. But because of that depth and the talent just across the board, he slides a little bit. And I I think he's going to step in as a rotational pass rusher for this 49ers team, just because that right now they've got a lot of options. They already have a very well-established defensive line group And that's probably a good way to work Drake Jackson in is allowing him to get settled and then using him as a a situational pass rusher, potentially mostly on third downs. 
The thing that was frustrating to me over the last couple seasons, and I think to a lot of Trojan fans, was seeing Drake Jackson constantly dropping into coverage. And not that he was bad at it, but we want to see this guy rushing the quarterback. I think the Niners are going to put him in a position to do that, opposite of Bosa. And it was the first selection made by the 49ers because they had traded away their first round pick. And so I think it's great value at 61st overall to get Jackson. And I think you're right. I think the Niners are going to put him in a position to succeed and do what he does best, which is get after the quarterback. And I think what's underrated, though, is that he's not that bad against the run. I saw some people out there criticizing. I think it was the scheme, really, more than Drake Jackson. Yeah, he wasn't put in a lot of good situations. And you talk about he's somebody that you don't really want covering. It's nice that he knows how to do that, but he's, he's not really built to cover in pass coverage. You got to let him rush the edge and go after the quarterback like he's built to do. And I think the way that he's built in his frame is going to make him a really good third down guy that you bring in with that pass rush group for a third and long, third and medium. He's got the skill set to do it. And then if you wanted to get creative, you could drop him because he knows how to do it. But like you're pointing out, you shouldn't be asking him to do it full time. And any of those concerns with the run game, just give him a little bit of time to get comfortable with the NFL game. It's going to be a lot harder to defend the run in the NFL than it was in college going against these huge offensive tackles that he's going to see. But I think you give him a little bit of time, he could really carve out a nice role at the 49ers. And the third Trojan player chosen on day number three in the sixth round, 201st overall by the Arizona Cardinals, running back Keonte Ingram. He led the 2021 Trojans in carries rush yards and yards per rush, was second in rushing touchdowns after transferring in from Texas. He also, in his four-year college career, had 89 catches, 671 yards through the air, and six receiving touchdowns. He's the first SC running back taken in the draft since 2018. That was Ronald Jones in the second round by Tampa Bay, and the first Trojan taken by the Cardinals since 2006. Offensive guard at Deuce Latouille was taken that year. So Ingram, I think, is a guy that a lot of people liked. He flashed late in the season for USC. And to me, he's a bargain in the sixth round. What do you think? Yeah, I really agree with you on that. I think Keontae Ingram is a very underrated player in this class. He's an underrated athlete. He has experience. He's got strong vision. And not only is he a bargain, but I think he fits really nicely with that Arizona offense. They lost Chase Edmonds, and I think that Keontae Ingram is going to step in and play that Chase Edmonds role very nicely. So we know that James Conner is a little bit more of a bruiser. He's still a good athlete, but he's the bigger of the two. He's a more of a stronger running back, and they're going to use him on early rushing downs. But what they used to do with Chase Edmonds is they'd bring him in on third down, and he was playing that air raid running back role where he would run routes, they would get him the ball in space. And I think Keontae Ingram is going to do that very, very well. And, and heck, I would argue he could do it even better than Chase Edmonds in a couple of years. Keontae Ingram, a uh, very underrated player in this class. And I think this group uh, at running back just had so many big names that they got pushed ahead of Ingram. And he, he got pushed down into the minutia of the rest of the crop. And the value of running backs is always going to get lower and lower every year. So total steal for the Arizona Cardinals. So you think he can make a contribution right away coming in as a six-round pick? Yeah, certainly. We see a lot more these days, especially with these experienced running backs 
teams are banking on guys that can come in and immediately have an impact. They don't draft running backs with a hope that they hit in a couple of years. They draft running backs and hope that they immediately can get touches, can create big splash plays because realistically the shelf life is so short that after their first contract, they get maybe a second one. And then after that, they're completely done. It's not a very long career for running backs anymore. So getting an immediate impact player is important. I think Keontae Ingram is one of those guys in this class. So those are the three Trojans selected in the 2022 NFL Draft. This is the Everything USC podcast on Believe. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today, co-host of the Believe in FCS Football and NFL Draft Prospects podcast, Joe DeLeon. And of course, let's also mention that he is a former long snapper for the University of Rhode (laughs) Island. Got to give the love to the long snappers out there. And if you enjoy listening to this show, subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network. For me, I'm at Nara Wang Sports on Twitter, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Joe, let the people know how they can reach out to you. At Joe DeLeon, and then as, as I said earlier, at NFL Prospects Pod, is our show handle. Be sure to check that out. This is Jackie Jamellis, former WNBA and USC women's basketball player, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. Fight on. Now it's time to go through the list of Trojans who went undrafted, but where did they all end up? A lot of them signed as undrafted free agents, and we'll begin with the two cornerbacks that some people thought could maybe sneak into the NFL draft. I am, of course, speaking of Isaac Taylor Stewart, who was signed by the Dallas Cowboys, and Chris Steele, who was picked up by the Pittsburgh Steelers. So talking about those two guys first, Why did they end up not being selected in the NFL draft this year? I think just in general, there were a lot of corners in this class, traitsy players, guys that have more development upside. It was a really good corner group. And I think just in general, outside of the three guys that were taken, it's just going to be an uphill battle, I think, for a lot of these other USC guys that went undrafted. And part of it kind of comes into the fact that Clay Helton just did such a poor job of developing these players. And I just think like some of those issues for those guys in this situation are are big reason why they went undrafted. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think the Clay Helton era has shown its worth, basically, when you see the draft in these last few years, the USC players coming into the draft and some of them getting drafted lower than they thought they would or not getting drafted at all. And another guy in the defensive backfield, Isaiah Polamau, signed by the Las Vegas Raiders. Linebacker Kanai Mauga, the leading tackler for this USC Trojan team in 2021, signed by the Denver Broncos. So in terms of those two guys, I like the fit for both of those guys. I think they went to places where they're going to have a shot to maybe make the roster, especially if they can show up on special teams, which I definitely think Mauga can. For me, Kanai Mauga was just a guy who was hurt all the time, it seemed, in his USC career. But when he did play, he showed a lot of ability and talent he's just a bit of a tweener between kind of a defensive back and a linebacker so how do you see Polamau and Malga in the NFL yeah and I think you pointed out there that the one guy in particular you mentioned being a tweener it's a lot harder to carve out a role and end up being draftable if you are a guy that's a tweener there's a difference between positional versatility 
and not having a set position. If you're not good at one position or the other, and especially physically, if you don't have the traits to play one spot over the other, it makes things really difficult to put you on a roster. You don't want to put a team in that situation where they don't really know where to put you and stuff like that. You mentioned being a tweener, like that's going to hurt trying to make a roster because they'd rather have one guy that can play a particular position at a good enough level. So stuff like that is what's going to make it difficult to carve out a spot in a, probably an already stacked depth chart. On the offensive side of the ball, tight end Eric Cromenhook was signed by the Los Angeles Chargers, so he won't have to leave L.A. And offensive lineman Jalen McKenzie picked up by the Tennessee Titans. Another offensive lineman, Liam Jimmins, was not signed, but invited to minicamp by both the Buffalo Bills and Baltimore Ravens. So it would seem like the years of, like you said, Clay Helton's poor recruiting on the offensive line showed up in this draft where the two best guys didn't even get drafted. One doesn't even have a signed contract yet as an undrafted free agent. So does this basically explain the ineptitude of much of the USC offense over the past couple of years? It's not all on just Slovis and all the easy targets that people have out there. Right. It was a collective issue not seeing the development of these players. Like these guys weren't under recruited guys. Like a lot of them were very highly recruited with multiple stars. They were good enough to be developed into quality players. So, not getting that level of development is a big reason why Clayton Helton was fired. Big reason why this team didn't play as good as they could have. I think that that definitely illustrates that ineptitude that you talked about. This is why you go and bring in a Lincoln Riley is not only having somebody who can recruit, but can develop that talent like he's done in his time at Oklahoma. And the final player I want to mention, just because most people don't follow the Canadian Football League, but Hunter Ben Griffiths was taken in the first round of the CFL's global draft, which is for players not based in Canada and the U.S. Griffiths, of course, and Australian. So he was the last pick of the first round of this global draft, ninth overall to the Edmonton Elks, but he wasn't even the first punter taken, Joe. He was the fourth (laughs) punter, and all four of them are Australian. So I know you're a former long snapper. You love the special teams. That's a crazy story, right? Ben Griffiths is the fourth punter taken in the first round of the global draft of the CFL. Right. So Canada is not really a pipeline for kickers and punters. We know that Australia has turned itself into a pipeline for punters. And I think with these Canadian teams, they're limited with the amount of non-Canadian players that they can have on the roster. They typically will not invest in a non-Canadian player at a special team spot. It's very difficult also for them to sign one of these guys that are a fringe NFL player, because more often than not, they want to stick around and be available, and they'd rather go stay at their, you know, their day job and train, and then eventually sign when a team is in an emergency, when somebody gets hurt, or somebody's not performing well. It's usually a lot of plug and play with specialists because of the, the nature of roster building, only being able to carry one guy at each position. But to get an Australian guy being selected that high in the Canadian draft, it's just such a funky league that the, you know, the global draft is very different. So if a team needs a specialist, they're going to go after the talented guys that they can get. I think it's a huge props to him getting selected. He's probably more likely to carve out a role in the CFL than he is in the NFL, especially because there's less limitations for punt schematics. 
a big reason why these Australian guys don't usually pan out in the NFL is because they come from Australia doing rugby punting and then into college football where they're still allowed to rugby punt, where they roll out, they kick the ball, they're kicking in a spread scheme. But instead, in the NFL, you're not allowed to run that spread scheme. You're not allowed to roll out. You can't do any of those things. Those guys usually don't pan out. So he's probably going to be in a much better position to succeed going to the CFL. So before I let you go, just final thoughts, big picture on the 2022 NFL draft as a whole. In your opinion, what team had the best draft? The one team that I've been pushing the hardest for having the best draft out of any of the teams was the Kansas City Chiefs. They had one of the most amount of draft picks in the class. They didn't have to do a whole lot of moving. A lot of teams were overthinking some of these selections, were unsure of what made sense for some of these players, maybe overthought the medicals, and they just kind of sat and let really good players fall to them. Trent McDuffie, who USC fans are familiar with, really underrated corner, very, very fast, very, very explosive. And then George Karloftis in the first round, those are two immediate plug-and-play starters, not to mention getting Sky Moore, the Western Michigan wide receiver, who's small, speedy, deep threat, fits exactly what they look for in receivers and is going to play that Tyreek Hill role. Not going to replace Tyreek Hill's production, but is able to play that role with a completely reshaped receiver group after they added Juju Smith-Schuster, former USC guy, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. But not to mention the fact that they got Joshua Williams, who is an underrated athletic corner from Fayetteville State. They got Leo Chennault, who is the most athletic linebacker in this class, but fell as far as he did in the third round. And then Darian Kennard had first-round buzz out of Kentucky as a guard, slides to the fifth round. The Chiefs snatch him up and is going to be another example of them getting a guy late that turns into a really, really good starter. Their class overall, they didn't just draft and get good depth players. They drafted and got multiple starters at multiple positions. While everyone else was going and making these trades for big names in the AFC West, I think that the Chiefs did a fantastic job to position themselves to build a really, really talented young roster. And naturally, we have to talk about quarterbacks. This year, only one taken in the first round. That was Kenny Pickett, the Pitt Panthers, staying in Pittsburgh as the Steelers take him. And then not another quarterback taken until round three when Desmond Ritter went to the Falcons. Malik Willis, a guy I think has the most talent of any quarterback in this draft. And the only one I would have maybe taken a risk on, he falls to the Titans. So who's going to end up being the best quarterback out of this draft? Yeah, that's such a hard question to answer because this quarterback class is just so bad and there's so much volatility on who's going to actually be the best guy. But in my opinion, it's not going to be Kenny Pickett. I think that Kenny Pickett in a couple of years is going to fizzle out and we're going to be talking about like why the heck did the Pittsburgh Steelers take him where they did? I think if anyone has the highest chance to hit, or not highest chance to hit, if they hit, they have the highest likelihood to be a star is Malik Willis, like you just said. It ends up actually benefiting him, sliding as far as he did. He's a Tennessee Titan in a situation where Ryan Tannehill is starting to slowly decrease his quality of play. He's, he's not the same guy that he was early on in his time in Tennessee and early on in his career. So they needed an eventual replacement in two to three years. Willis needed a spot where he was on a good roster with a really good coaching staff that they can be patient. And I think Willis is going to have that patience built around him. That offense loves to run a lot of play action. They love to have a lot of rollout throws and throws on the run. And Malik Willis can do all of that. He's got the arm strength. He needs to work on his accuracy. 
He needs to improve his understanding of the game. So give him a little bit of time. I, I think that if, if he pans out, he's going to be the best of the group. But there's a very good shot that we just don't hear a single thing about him, and he fizzles out, and he doesn't even get any starts. There's a lot of volatility with him, but I definitely have the highest hopes for him to turn out to be great. Yeah, I think every quarterback in this year's draft is not ready. No matter what people are saying, no one's ready to step in on day right. one. They all need to get developed, and then we'll see what happens from there. Who was the best player to come out of this year's draft down the road when we look back? Kyle Hamilton, without a doubt. And a, a guy that I'm sure USC fans you know, grimaced watching as they played Notre Dame these past couple of years because the dude is a monster, six foot four. 230 pounds, and he's a safety. He's good enough to play in the box. He's good enough of a tackler and has the size to play in the box. He's got the speed and the athleticism to cover sideline to sideline. He can cover receivers in the slot. He can cover tight ends. The guy can do any everything. And because teams overthought him and he falls to the Baltimore Ravens, he gets put into a situation where he's on an elite defensive team that just had one of the best drafts defensively out of any team that is turning into a really talented young core. He is going to be a menace for the AFC, just a huge problem for those quarterbacks. He's going to be knocking dudes out. He's going to be picking quarterbacks off. He is so, so talented, as I'm sure USC fans recall from getting to watch him, and he lands in a perfect situation for him to grow as a player. My thing with him, because you're exactly right, he was a, a game wrecker when he played out there before he got hurt in the game against USC, by the way, last season. But he reminds me of Taylor Mays, except he can cover. All the good things about yeah. Taylor Mays, except he can also cover, which was Taylor Mays' issue and why he didn't really last in the NFL. Which is what you don't get with these big safeties, is you usually just get big dudes that hit people. But that coverage stuff is, is what makes him so good. And finally... You're a guy from a small school. You do the FCS football podcast. So who are some FCS guys or just in general late round draft picks that we should keep an eye on for the future coming out of 2022? So we had the two FCS guys go in the first round, Trevor Penning and Cole Strange, and, and they've been talked about so much. So I, I don't want to shed too much light on them because they got drafted highly. They're going to end up having really strong careers. But the two guys that I'm excited to see what they do one, Troy Anderson, the Montana State linebacker who was the Atlanta Falcons' second-round pick. He was previously a quarterback and a running back at Montana State. They move him to linebacker, and he was so dominant. Fantastic athlete. I think he needs to develop a little bit more as a player because he's so new to playing defense. But he is underrated as a linebacker, is fairly physical, and is going to be a really strong addition for that linebacker group that is already so fast. And then Pierre Strong Jr., who is the South Dakota State running back selected by the New England Patriots, I think that he has some shades of Elijah Mitchell to him, and he is going to be a candidate to be that out-of-nowhere small school guy that explodes onto the scene because he was not only an experienced, athletic, high-volume player at South Dakota State coming out as a prospect, but he lands with the New England Patriots, who, if they get a running back who's playing well and they ride the hot hand, they could finish with really good stats at the end of the year. And I think Pierre Strong has the capability to be a surprise first-year running back with a really big season. Pierre Strong, by the way, was like the only Patriot draft pick I liked from where they actually picked him. Because right. Cole Strange might end up being good, but you could have gotten him in the second round for sure. Yeah. And that was that pick, I've heard it rationalized so many different ways. 
But the, the way that I think it makes the most sense is they were trying to trade back. They couldn't find a suitor and they were going to draft him in the second round. And they knew they wanted a guard because they missed out on Zion Johnson, the hometown kid. And they just said, you know what? Screw it. We're just going to take him now. We can't trade out. We don't like any of these other guys at these other positions. So let's just take him now. And that was what created the, the uproar. But I think that Cole Strange is going to be a fantastic player for them. Joe, always enjoy having you on to talk about the NFL draft. I know people think it's crazy sometimes to talk about guys, a list of names, basically. We don't know anything about how they're going to do yet in the NFL, but it's all about the speculation. Everyone has that yeah. sense of wonderment right now that they could all be good, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, and it's, it's one of the best parts of covering the draft is projecting and, and trying to get a sense of who could be the next star. That's what makes it so fun is connecting college football to the NFL and trying to figure out who is going to be that next big guy. So for my guest, Joe DeLeon of the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects and Believe in FCS Football Podcast, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 58 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online on Believe, the number one content network for professionals, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as I end every show, please remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.